Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. I want you to go with me to 1 Kings chapter uh, 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. And I want to read to you from verse 1 to 3. I took the uh, teenagers through the life of Elijah uh, over summer. And so I, I, I love this passage. I love the story of, of Elijah and Elisha. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 to 3. And this is what it says. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and came to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. We're, we're beginning a new series today called Rhythm on how to keep your momentum. Now, the title of this series has gone through a variety of incarnations. I, I think we're going to call it Lyric at one point. Uh, we're going to call it Momentum was another name that came up. Groove was another name for this uh, series. We weren't really landing. I knew what I wanted to preach on, but couldn't really land on it. The original name. The original name for the series was Badi Ya. That was the original name for the series. We didn't think that would be a win because most uh, people would think it was a tongues message and try to interpret it. But that was the original name. Now, now the phrase Badi Ya came out of a Earth, Wind and Fire song in 1978. Now, I'm not sure if you know the story of that, but there was a, a woman, Allie Willis, who was an unemployed songwriter and she got a call from Morris White, who was the uh, lead singer, the leader of this band, Earth, Wind and & Fire. And he, he called her and invited her to be on a project. They were doing Earth, Wind & Fire's Greatest Hits Volume 1. And he had invited her. She was unemployed, not writing. So this is a big deal. When she turned up, she was hoping it wasn't going to be like a psych sort of moment, that it was going to be legit. And they were playing this song. September that became a, a global hit and she liked the song because it was upbeat it was fun when you played it backwards it didn't have any hidden satanic messages and so she liked that song she liked she liked the song so it was upbeat but it had this line in there body that that made no sense and the the, the phrase body was like something that Morris White would just throw into a tune when he didn't have lyrics and so as they went on to writing the song and putting it together she noticed that this phrase, body up, was not leaving the song. And it didn't make sense. And they put in, body up. And so she went to him, are we gonna, we're gonna change that to some actual words. And he made this comment to her. He said, never let the lyric get in the way of the groove. Never let the words get in the way of the rhythm of the song. And I want to encourage you to be on guard for all those things that come at your life 
to try to take your rhythm, to try to take your groove, to try to rob your momentum, to stop things that are trying to rob you from being all that God has called you to be. And so we're going to start this series off called Rhythm. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's alive. We thank you that it's powerful. We thank you that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you that it's able to get into our life and penetrate and bring supernatural change from the inside out. Our hearts are open. Our minds are ready. Our ears are tuned in to Holy Spirit, what you're saying to us individually and corporately as a church. And so be with us today, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. There are three main players in this passage of Scripture. The first one is introduced Ahab. Ahab was the seventh king of the northern kingdom. When Israel split after Solomon's reign through Jeroboam and Rehoboam, the nation split into two kingdoms, north and south, and the northern kingdom had experienced a sequence of very, very bad kings. Now, Jeroboam was like the benchmark of bad kings. He was like the benchmark. Every, if you were going to judge how good or bad you were, you would look at Jeroboam's life and you would either say, well, I'm not as bad as Jeroboam. I'm a, I'm a pretty good guy. Like Jeroboam was bad. I'm not as bad as him. And you'd use that as like a benchmark to sort of decide whether you are good or bad. Now, Ahab, it says, that Ahab considered the sins of Jeroboam as trivial. In other words, when Ahab lined his life up uh, against Jeroboam's life, he was like, that guy's not bad. He's almost good. He's almost a saint, almost got a halo. Like he's like, I'm bad. I am a bad man. He was probably known and regarded as Israel's most evil king. And so this was a wicked, evil man. Now, he married the next person in the passage, Jezebel. Now, Jezebel was a bad woman. I'm, again, you've heard me say this before. Maybe you're new to church. I would suggest if you're a new Christian and uh, you're hanging out with other people, especially women, that you never use the phrase ever, you're a Jezebel. Because I'm not sure, like, like, like if you're a meanie, you're a meanie that is like a, a level zero, and you are Beelzebub, is level five, you're Satan, the daughter of Satan, Jezebel's at a 10. Like that's how bad it is. So you know this woman is bad because thousands of years later, she still freaks us out. Now Jezebel was the daughter of a pagan king. And when she married uh, Ahab, and maybe they married as a political alliance, or maybe she was just really hot looking. I don't know the reason why he married her. But when they got married, she brought her religion into the nation of Israel. She brought the worship of Baal and the worship of Asherah into the lifestyle of Israel. And what had happened was it had moved from syncretism where the people were sort of worshipping God and sort of worshipping Baal, where she had gained in authority and gained in power and she'd driven out the worship 
of God, Yahweh, and tore down the, the temples and torn down the altars to worship God. And she'd set up temples to worship Baal. And she'd set up temples to worship Asherah. And Ahab the king had let this happen. And so on Ahab's watch, Israel had gone down to where they were worshiping man-made gods. They were worshiping idols. They were worshiping the gods of Baal and Asherah, which were evil gods. Where Baal was a weather god and Asherah was like a sexual god and they, their, their worship was out of whack. And, and so Israel was in a very bad situation. And then the third person in this passage of Scripture, Elijah, steps onto the pages of Bible history. He's one of my favorite people. He's just out of nowhere, 1 Kings chapter 17, out of nowhere, Elijah just arrives. It says that he's a Tishbite from Tishbe and the inhabitants of Gilead in the Hebrew writing there. It's referring to a stranger amongst strangers. In other words, you don't know who he is, but God knows who he is. And God's been developing him in the secret place. And out of nowhere, Elijah just steps out onto the pages of Bible history in Ahab's court. And he prophesies to Israel's most evil king. Every other prophet is hiding for their life. And he stands right there in the front of the man who could take his life. And he brings his prophecy forward. You think your God controls the seasons? Your God doesn't control us. My God controls the seasons. And he says, there'll be no dew nor rain until I say so. No dew nor rain until I say so. And the nation goes into drought. Like he's a legit prophet. He's a prophecy that comes and it happens legit straight away. So, and, and, it's, and the Old Testament prophets are a little bit different than New Testament prophets. And so he's bringing a judgment of God. So the nation goes into drought and then God speaks to Elijah and says, Elijah, I want you to go and hide by the brook Cherif. Now, the brook would be the first thing to run out of water, but God says, I want you to go there and you can drink from the brook and I'll provide food for you from ravens. I'll sustain you. So he was there for a while until the brook ran out and God supplied supernaturally and then sent him to a widow's house at Zarephath. Now, this widow at Zarephath, he goes to her and he says to her, hey, um, would you mind making me a meal? I'm hungry. I've been drinking from a brook and been fed by ravens for the last few years. So it's a pretty steady diet of worms and I just like something else. And I notice you've got some flour and some oil. Any, any chance you can make me a feed? And, and she's like, well, to be honest with you, um, I'm about to go, this is all I've got left. This little bit of oil, this little bit of flour. I'm gonna go and make a loaf of bread. And my son and I, are going to eat it because that's all we've got left and we're going to die. This is our last meal. We're going to eat it and we're going to die. And Elijah says, well, before you eat it, make sure you make me some. Make me a meal and let me eat it. And if you let me eat it before you eat it, then you'll be able to eat forever. God will supply your need. God's going to bless you. Now we read that in the church. We're like, yes, I like the faith of Elijah. It's awesome. But if I did that, you would leave the church. 
It's like a Sunday morning and somebody came down. The, you could tell that they were homeless and they hadn't eaten for a week. They're all shriveled up and they look like they're starving and they're walking through the thing and you're, you, you get them to the front seat down here and you put them in the, in the front row and they're sitting there and Pastor Bill's like, oh my gosh, this person hasn't eaten. And you're like, how long since you eaten? He's like, I, I haven't eaten. I'm, I'm here. I'm hoping you'll do communion. So I just got a little wafer and that will feed me, you know. And, and Pastor Bill's like, oh, I got to get you. I got to get you a meal. And next thing, he comes back with like a Big Mac combo. Two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun, super side fries, and a Coke. And he just presents it to the man who's about to eat a communion wafer and die. And so the man gets the burger out, unwraps it, the fumes of the, the Big Mac just start to fill the air. And I'm over here worshiping. And I think to myself, I'm hungry. And I walk over to the man who hasn't eaten forever, and you're now all watching, because I'm like, oh, you can smell the Big Mac. And I'm like, hey, man, if you give me some bites of the Big Mac, God's going to bless your life. And I just grab the burger, and <laughs> you would leave. <laughs> how, many, how many people know you would leave? I can't believe you did that. I mean, this is what Elijah did. But she got a miracle. So he fed at the brook, then he's fed at the widow's house and she gets sustenance and she's able to make it through the famine. But then her son dies. And she's like, man, oh God, what are you doing? I've got judgment. And then he raises his son from, from, from the dead. So he's got a prophecy. He's been supernaturally fed. He's uh, sustaining a widow through a time of drought, raises her son from the dead, heads towards Mount Carmel, which means garden land or fruitfulness. On his way there, he confronts Obadiah and Ahab, two men. Obadiah in verse 7 says, I think it's chapter 18, is that you, Elijah, O man of God? Some people are going to love you. Some people are going to think you're fantastic. He goes 10 verses, gets to verse 17. Is that you, Elijah, O troubler of Israel from Ahab? Some people are going to like you. Some people are not going to like you. That's just life. Keep moving. So Elijah keeps moving and he goes up the mountain. When he goes up the mountain, he calls everybody together. He says, how long will you falter between two opinions? If God is God, serve him. If Baal, serve him. He gathers the prophets of Baal and he has a competition. He says, you build an altar, you throw a bull on it, you call down fire, I'll build an altar, I'll put a bull on it, I'll call down fire. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, that's awesome. And the prophets of Baal get out there and they've got the bull in order and the wood and they're whatever, dancing around, singing, whatever songs that they were singing, you know, probably ACDC or something satanic or maybe Abba, I don't know. But they're, they're just dancing around and nothing's happening. And I love reading Elijah. Elijah's looking at that. It's like, hey guys, nothing's happening. Is, is your God on a holiday? He just mocks, he mocks the prophets of Baal. Is your God taking a break, having a siesta? Is he going to the restroom? I notice nothing's happening. Can't smell any smoke, anything happening over there. They start cutting themselves with lances and bleeding and trying to make, and nothing happens. No one answers, no word, no fire, nothing. Then Elijah goes in the presence of God. He says, you are the God that answers by fire. Come on, God, do what only you can do. And the fire falls from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, consumes the wood, consumes the water in the wood. And Elijah has this incredible miracle. He goes down and single-handedly executes the prophets of Baal. He has miracle momentum. Then he goes up on the mountain. He starts to pray for rain. 
And he says to his servant, go and check out if you can see anything. Six times the servant comes back, nothing. Nothing. The seventh time, servant comes back and he says, I, I, I see a cloud. It's little. It's like, it's like a little hand of a man. It's a small cloud. But Elijah knew what that meant. God is a God of momentum. God is the God of rhythm. God is the God of pattern. It may start small, but it won't necessarily stay small. You have the faith of a mustard seed. Start small, but it will grow and be something huge. And so he said, you know what? God is moving. We need to, we need to run. Go and tell Ahab, make your way to Jezreel. God's about to pour out rain. And so that's what Elijah does. Ahab takes off on the king's chariot with horses. Elijah girds up his loin. And the Bible says that Ahab outruns, sorry, that Elijah outruns Ahab's chariot to Jezreel. He has so much success momentum. Each one of these moments create further miracle-making momentum in Elijah's life. The Bible says in verse 46, the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So Elijah has all these miracles happening one after the other, banking up, fire falling down from heaven, prophesied drought, now prophesied rain, clouds are starting to form, rain's about to drench the land. He says to Ahab, you better get out of here before it gets flooded and you have issues. And so Ahab gets on his chariot with horses and takes off to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord comes on Elijah and he outruns Ahab's chariot to Jezreel. John Maxwell put it like this. He said, momentum will make you look better than you really are. And lack of momentum will make you look worse than you really are. There's just something about gaining spiritual momentum or gaining momentum in life that accelerates us into a place where everybody sits back and goes, wow. I'm pretty sure, I don't know about you, but I think that about Elijah. James wrote about Elijah. He said he's a, a man of like nature, just like us. I'm like, he ain't like me. I'm not sure if any of you had that thought. You look at what he does and you think, well, I'm, that, that's, I'm not that good. But James says he got the same nature. What did he have? But he created miracle momentum in his life. Just line upon line, precept upon precept, one thing after the other, continually growing. If you keep moving forward, I'm not sure where you're at today. Some of you may look at your life and you may say, I am not where I thought I would be. I want to encourage you, keep stepping forward. Keep moving forward. Don't step backwards. Don't retreat. Don't give in. Keep believing. You're believing for a spouse. You're believing for a loved one. You're believing for a boss. You're believing for miracles. You're believing for breakthrough. You just got to create spiritual momentum. If you've got the grain, the faith, the grain of a mustard seed, great things can happen. Now, Elijah's spiritual momentum was a clear threat to the momentum that Jezebel had established in the kingdom. The Bible says that Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. So Jezebel is at home. She knows this competition is going on on Mount Carmel. She's well aware of the prophets of Baal being up there. She knows her husband is up there. She knows that Elijah has called the challenge and she sees the rain. 
So you know, in Jezebel's mind, she thought to herself, that's awesome. We've killed Elijah. The prophets of Baal have had victory. Rain has come because my gods are the gods of this land. And there would have been an expectation in her heart that when Ahab got home, he's going to burst through the door. It's like, hey, babe, I'm home. Good news. Elijah's dead. Fire fell down. Prophets of Baal doing awesome. Give him a pay raise. But he comes home and he doesn't do that. He tells her all that Elijah had done. He tilts the conversation to make it all around Elijah because technically Elijah didn't do anything. God did everything. So it's not like Elijah's fault. It's like her gods have no power. Elijah's God has power. As a leader of the nation of Israel, he should have been able to gravitate to the power of Yahweh. But he tells her all that Elijah had done. And Jezebel's response to Ahab's words create anger in Jezebel's mouth. She's like, I'm going to send a messenger and you're going to go and tell that man, Elijah, that everything he did to the prophets of Baal, I'm going to do to him. Everything that he did to my prophets, I'm going to do to him by this time tomorrow. He's on a 24-hour clock. I am going to take him out. And this messenger messes with Elijah's momentum. The Bible says in verse 3, then he was afraid. This is Elijah. This is this lean, mean, prophetic machine. This is this man that's prophesied drought, prophesied rain, called down fire, being sustained, raises people from the dead. This is this man that's like in this miracle flow and one bad woman with one bad conversation says, I am going to take you out. And in one moment, a major momentum shift takes place. He runs for his life in fear. In chapter 18, he is running in victory. He is outrunning Ahab's chariot. But in chapter 19, just one chapter over, he's now running for his life away from the king and the queen. Faith has been responded with fear. Light has been swapped with darkness. Confrontation is now retreat. And courage is now cowardice in the man of God. Jezebel knew if she could mess with his momentum if she could just create something, if she could allow the lyric to get in the way of the groove, if she could allow the conversation, the words, I'll take you out to get in, she could rob him of his momentum. It's a strategic plan of the devil. And humans do it pretty good too. In the 2021 US Open, Stefano Sidipas was losing in a tight match against Andy Murray. And I think they were level. And the momentum was going in the favor of Andy Murray. He wasn't the favorite to win the game, but the momentum had gone in the favor of Andy Murray. He was winning and all the, the, the success was going his way. And this guy, Stephanos Sitipas, decides, I'm gonna take a toilet break. I need, I need to take a time, I need to stop the match right here. Now they're allocated a minute or two is sort of what they're allowed to do. He takes over seven minutes. He takes over seven minutes in a break because he knows if I can just take a break, I can get in his head. 
If I can just take a break, I know I can mess with his momentum. He's got all this momentum heading in this way. And what I need to do is I need to keep a gap. I I need to allow a block to come so momentum may shift in my way. And that's what happened. He took a seven-minute break and the momentum went from Andy Murray to Stephanos and he won that match and Murray lost the match. And I think right now the tennis committee is trying to take away seven-minute toilet breaks. Because it destroyed his momentum. You'll do that. If you're losing a battle, you try to get the upper hand, reverse the momentum. You watch sport teams do it, and the enemy does it to you. Elijah allowed the lyric, the words of this one woman to get in the way of his groove. Words have power. The Bible says in Proverbs that life and are in the power of the, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So your conversation, your words are powerful. They're not, they're not just empty syllables and letters floating into the atmosphere making sound. Your language has power. On your tongue, out of your mouth, is the ability to speak life into somebody or to speak death into somebody. Too quickly in the church, we, fa- we, we fail to think about the words that we're speaking and we speak death into situations, or we speak crisis, or we speak negativity, or we speak division, or we speak hopelessness, or we speak fear. And this shouldn't be the, 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 the route of the Christian, the man or the woman of God. We should be speaking faith. We should be speaking courage. We should be speaking boldness. We should be speaking holiness. We should be speaking, you can do it. You can make it. You can get through. You can get to the other side. Our words shouldn't rob rhythm. Our words should create rhythm. Words are momentum breakers or momentum makers. When the word of the Lord was in the mind of Elijah, he gained momentum. But as soon as the word of Jezebel got into his mind, it broke his momentum. He allowed her lyric to rob him of his rhythm. Then he was afraid and he rose and he ran for his life. He came to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there. Now, what happens with Elijah? Watch how this happens. He goes from all these scriptures of positive momentum. And in one moment, it just doesn't stop him, but it creates negative momentum. So it's not like he just stops still and hopefully he can move forward. What happens for Elijah is he stops still and he runs for his life and now he's going backwards. Because now he's ran away for his life. He came to Bathsheba, which is a big distance, belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. So now he's running, leaves his servant, you stay here, I'm moving on. And now he goes away on his own. And it says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, it's enough now, O Lord, take my life for I'm no better than any of my fathers. It only takes a moment to break your momentum. And this not only breaks Elijah's momentum going forward, it propels him in momentum going backwards. And rather than just being fearful of this negative word of this woman saying, this is not good, I should probably go and hang out again in a cave somewhere, he runs for his life. 
Then he runs on his own. So he goes out of fellowship, out of connection with anybody. He runs for his life and then he runs for his own, on his own. And the Bible says that it's not good for man to be alone. We're not created for isolation. We're created for team. We're created for partnership. We're created for covenant. We're created for community. We're created for kingdom. We're created for the church. And so he leaves his servant and he goes on his own a day's journey and he gets under a tree and he's there and he says, I want to die. God, take my life. I'm done. I can't do it. I'm no better than anybody else. I'm, I'm terrible. He forgets all the miraculous things that God has done through his life and allows one word, one lyric to get in the way of his momentum. And now his life is spiraling out of control. It only takes a moment to mess with your momentum. The book of Hebrews, it says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That we are to lay aside the sin and the weight that so easily beset us. Now, sin and weight so easily, it's, it's, it's there. You, you, you don't have to look hard. You don't have to look hard for offence. You don't have to look hard for temptation. You don't have to look real hard. It, it, let me just, just, just a show of hands. It's not a test. So just... It's just an interesting thing. How many of you here, if you are honest, be honest, because God's looking. I think it's probably a good place to be honest. Not a trick question. I don't ask trick questions. This is just a question. How many of you here would say that you've been hurt in life? Give me a wave of your hand if you've ever been hurt in life. Yeah, it's a majority. How many people have been hurt in church by another Christian? Give me a wave of your hand. Yeah, it's the same majority. So you don't have to go too far to be hurt. We've been hurt, we've been disappointed, we've been let down. That's why the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, if you want to make the long distance, you've got to lay aside the sin and the weight. The sin is the things that you do that mess you up. The weight is things that other people do. Don't allow sin or weight, your mistakes or other people's mistakes, mess with your momentum. You've got to lay them aside and you've got to run and keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep moving forward. Don't stop moving forward. Look to him as the author and the finisher and run with endurance. How do, you, how do you run an endurance race? You may not be the fastest. You may not be the strongest. You may not be the quickest. But if you've got endurance, you're going to outlast everybody else. If you can just hang in there. If you can just stay on track. When I went to Bible college, I wasn't the smartest person in the room. Probably wasn't the greatest person in the room. But out of 35 students in my class, I'm one of about three that are still doing ministry. Why? Just endurance. You may not be the smartest, you may not be the greatest, you may not be the best, but if you can just outlast everybody else, you're going to make it to the end. Run with endurance the race that is set before you. I'm here to tell you something, someone, some attitude, some event, some disappointment, some distraction, some problem is going to try to rob you from your momentum. It's just going to happen. One word. One conversation, one criticism, one accusation, one suggestion, one remark is going to be sown at you to try to rob you from your momentum. You've got to keep moving forward. You've got to lay aside the words. You've got to lay aside the weight. You've got to lay aside the disappointment and keep moving forward. Establishing rhythm is us knowing how to keep that spiritual momentum. And I want to encourage you 
Don't let the lyric get in the way of the groove. Don't let the negative words that people have spoken over you get in the way of you moving forward. But what will you let get in your way? What things will you let allow to come along and just land in your path to distract you? Lay aside the sin and the weight. It's more than just a word. I'm going to encourage you today. Don't let discouragement get in the way of your rhythm. Don't let discouragement get in the way of your rhythm. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And it began in chapter 18, verse 20, when Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. So in Elijah's mind, he's spoken to the king, most evil man. He's gathered the people of Israel up on the mountain. And he says to them, how long will you falter between two opinions? If God is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. He challenges the prophets of Baal to a competition. He stands toe to toe. Elijah stands toe to toe with Israel's most evil king. He stands toe to toe with 450 prophets of Baal. He sticks his neck out and believes that God is going to do the miracles that God can do. He challenges the nation of Israel to a competition on Mount Carmel. He's out there. And after all that he has done, prophesied drought, prophesied rain, called down fire, built the seen all these miracles take place. Miracle after miracle that not only Elijah saw, but King Ahab saw it. And after everything he's done and outrunning Ahab's chariot to Jezreel, Ahab knows that he left before Elijah. He rocks up to the gates of Jezreel. There's Elijah standing there. Hey man, hope it was a good journey. Put it in cruise control on the way or something like that. And Elijah goes into the temple. Ahab goes into the temple knowing Elijah beat him there. Could you imagine being Elijah? After everything I've done, you still don't believe. After everything that God has done in me, your wife Jezebel doesn't repent and acknowledge Yahweh. She's still putting her money on the gods of Baal and Asherah and she wants to kill me. I don't think I'm the problem here. I think you guys are the problem here. And I think we've proved this. You worship Baal, the weather God. And I just proved to you that my God is the God of the weather. I proved to you through drought. I proved to you through rain. Your prophets of Baal couldn't call down fire. You saw, Ahab, you saw that with your own eyes. Jezebel, you knew that the prophets were gonna go for the competition. And now you know you lost and my God is God. And after all of that, you, you still don't believe? How discouraging has that got to be for the man of God? To think after everything I've done, I couldn't even move you an inch. After everything God's done, I couldn't even move you in a little bit of forward momentum. And now you're angry at me and you want to kill me 
And you want to take me out? I don't think I'm the problem here. Maybe discouragement got in Elijah's soul. And so he ran for his life. The enemy will use discouragement. Nehemiah was building the wall. Rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Sanballat and Tobiah, some others came along, sent messages up to Nehemiah. Come down and have a chat with us. We want to talk to you about this rebuilding of the wall. They were trying to discourage him. They were trying to let their lyrics get in the way of his rhythm. They were trying to rob his moment. He had success momentum. They were rebuilding the temple. They were rebuilding the walls. But Elijah was smart enough to say, I, I know they're not going to encourage me. I know they're going dis- to they're, they're enemies. They're not going to lift me up. They're going to try to pull me down. And so he said to them, no, I'm not coming down. I won't stop what I'm doing to get down to where you're at. I'm not going to allow hearsay, rumor, gossip, accusation, or anything like that get in the way of my rhythm. I'm not going to let it happen. It'll come your way. Try to rob your rhythm. In the first year of Jesus' ministry, they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Oh, they're loving it. What? Free fish, free bread, bowls of jollof, supernatural bowls of jollof. This is awesome. They're chowing down. They're enjoying it. What? He just got healed. He got healed. She got healed. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Jesus. You're amazing. That's usually the first year of ministry. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Second year. Eh, By what authority do you say these things? Who told you you could say that? Who do you think you are? You think you're all out in the bag of chips, Jesus? By what authority? Who gives you the authority to say what you're saying? And they challenge the authority and they sow negativity and they sow division and they try to create chaos. Year one, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Second year, by what authority do you say these things? Third year, crucify him, crucify him. And they think by crucifying him, the devil thinks by crucifying him, he's going to rob Jesus of his momentum. But he doesn't know that that's in the plan, that the crucifixion, that the way down is the way up. And I'm here to encourage you today. Maybe you're in year one and you've got some new friends and they're like, blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. We love you. You're the best employee. We've never had anybody work for us. That's so great. We love having you on our staff. We love having you on our team. We love you to be our boss. I love working for you. Can I just work for you forever? But then after a season, you start to get familiar. And then all of a sudden, well, why are you saying that? And what's the motivation? I'm not sure I really trust you, especially if other people have got into your head. We don't trust that person. Their motivation's wrong. You start questioning and doubting. Well, it won't be long if you go down that track that you go from positive momentum, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, to negative momentum. By what authority do you say these things? Crucify him, crucify him. But I'm here to encourage you. If you're in that mode right now, don't be discouraged. Because on the other side of a crucifixion is a resurrection. 
On the other side of a resurrection is an ascension. On the other side of an ascension is Jesus coming back again. He's coming back in all authority and all power and all dominion. All you've got to do is you've got to go through the crucifixion. And if that happens to you, say, you know what? I'm not done yet. I, I'm going to lay down for a second, but I'm going to get my momentum back. I'm going to lay hold of God. I'm believing for a resurrection. There are people here today, you need a resurrection in your momentum. You need a resurrection in your life. You need God to speak into your situation and call what is dead to come back to life and you need to get back up and you may not be able to sprint but I'm here to encourage you today at least take one step forward and then take another step forward and then take another step forward and then just take another step forward and then pray for a minute and pray for two minutes and confess something over your life and build the momentum back because you are better than you think you are and God can do more in you than you think he can do Discouragement is terrible. One thing I learned early in ministry is when people have a rumor or a gossip and they come up to you, especially me as a pastor, they don't like something. And they say, everybody is saying. How many of you have ever heard that phrase? Everybody is saying. Everybody, everybody is saying. Everybody. Everybody's saying, what are you doing having Joloff wars at your church? Everybody's saying, they don't like spicy food. Everybody's saying, I like it better when you gave the Big Mac illustration. Everybody's saying, why, why, why are you doing every, no, everybody, 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 everybody. Have you ever had everybody saying and then say, well, would a champion say that? Well, no, no champion didn't say that because he created the Joloff Awards. Of course, he didn't say that. Well, is Pastor Anna, did she say it? Well, of course not. Somebody gave her an African shirt. She wore it in church. She's excited about the <laughs> Joloff Wars. Well, did Pastor Dan and Linda say it? Oh, well, no, they're cooking the Joloff outside their house. Like, they, they've got to go through the Joloff tent to get to where they live. Of course, they're going to get some joel off on the, the way there. So Pastor Farhad said it. Pastor Farhad said he didn't like joel off wars. No, no, the Iranians love joel off. I don't know if they've ever eaten it, but when they eat it, they'll love it. They'll be, be like amazing. We think Pastor Farhad's going to probably get a tattoo with joel off on his arm. I, I love joel off. What about Pastor Waldy? About Bisrat? We, well, no. So, so I, I've just named 10 people and none of them are against it. So maybe it's not everybody. Maybe it's a few. Maybe it's just you. And I've been in ministry long enough to know everybody is the Hebrew word for just me. <laughs> it's the new pronoun. It's the Christian pronoun. Everybody, just me. Don't call me me. Don't call me I. Call me everybody. Because everybody is saying so I want to be recognized from now on. It's 2022. And so then you allow distraction and discouragement to get in. But God said, don't let somebody's word, don't let get somebody's distraction. I go, Russell, you can come. I've got a multitude of points to come after this that I'm not going to give you today. We can wait till next week. Because I feel like to land on this is, is prophetic because I feel like there's discouragement in the room. I feel like there's some of you here today 
and the enemy has just thrown at you. Some of you, it's just little things, just little disappointments. It's not like, not like a crisis, but you're like, ah, I just I love that. It slowed me down a little bit. It's blocked me along the way. Maybe it's someone's taken a seven-minute toilet break in the middle of the game. In other words, they should be there, but they're not there. You thought they'd be with you forever, but they just stood out, walked away from you, left you alone. And you're like, why am I, I didn't, I didn't anticipate this. I didn't, I didn't foresee that I'd be doing this part of my life with no one in it, no one. And, and you're lonely and you're discouraged because you feel like, no, I, I don't think I just did anything to deserve you treating me like that. You've allowed discouragement to get into your spirit. Some of you allowed the negative words at work or... If you're doing ministry and you're welcome to come up and worship and get prayer today. If you're doing ministry, maybe you're... And I've had this happen to me. You pour your life into somebody and you just throw all your energy and all your prayer and hours. And then all of a sudden they hear some rumor and they're out and they don't even consult you. And you're like, what And it's discouraging. It's like, I thought we were going to have a breakthrough and now you're nowhere even to be seen. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to minister to us. Maybe the Holy Spirit wants to minister to you online. Maybe you're watching online today. And the reason you're watching online is you don't want to come to church anymore. Maybe you feel like, man, I've been so hurt in church. I, 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 I love God, but I don't want to be in church with His people. I had a conversation with a pastor down the road from me in New Zealand. His name was Wayne, a very small church. And uh, he said to me one day, he said, church would be great. I'd love church if it wasn't for the people. And I said to him, church is just about people. We're not in the religion business. We're in the people business. We're here to minister to people. If you don't have people, you don't have a church. But maybe that's you. Maybe you're watching online and you're watching online for a reason. Maybe it's not because you can't get to church. Maybe somebody hurt you. Somebody let you down. The enemy is robbing you from your momentum. You are better in community. This is a beautiful, word of life is a beautiful church. The men and women of God here are beautiful. Are we perfect? No, we're far from perfect. But we love people. And we want to see you restored and move on. So maybe, maybe get out from behind the screen and come and visit us on a Sunday and maybe reconnect. If that's what's robbing your momentum, I'm not sure why you're at home. But don't let, don't let discouragement get in and steal anything from you. As we process this thought for us, God, where are you in this message for me? Can you stand to your feet right now? I want us to ask that question to God. God, where are you in this message for me? I want us to worship God. And as we worship God together, I'm going to come back in a moment and I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to ask God to move in your life in a supernatural way. But can we lift our voices to God and worship Him?